The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. I've been off for a few weeks, so uh, uh, you know. I'm hopefully, you're looking forward to this show. We, we got some good stuff for you today. So today, the my guest is a friend of the show, the lead pa- the lead pastor of Water and Stone Church, the Reverend Dieter Randolph. How you doing there, Reverend Dieter? I'm doing really well. It's so nice to be back. Uh, welcome back to you as well. But. Uh, just really, really a great opportunity to get to be here and talk with my good friend and, and uh, hopefully some uh, friends listening along. Yes, yes. It'll be great if we can get some people to just uh, call in and ask questions, et cetera, because we have a doozy of a show today. So today's show <laughs> is a <laughs> – it really is a doozy because it's the it's it's the process of um, – you know, it's the process of – of trying to discover and ascertain what Jesus really taught. And then when we start putting our metaphysics on top of it, it creates mm-hmm. a new world, a new paradigm. So today's show is actually um, a continuation of the secrets of metaphysical Bible study. And today's show is the kingdom of the cross, which is basically what did Jesus teach? Because the, um, Reverend Dita, as you know, um, when you go into the average Christian church, I would say 99.5, what you will hear almost all of the time is the cross, and you rarely hear the kingdom. It might be mentioned here and there, but it's rarely mm-hmm. taught as Jesus taught the kingdom, Jesus taught the kingdom, Jesus taught the kingdom, and this is why. It's more right. cross-focused. Uh, so, um, so you know, I, first of all, before we get to our questions, you know, that I, and I have several, I just wanted to kind of get your <laughs> over, overview of that before we go into it. 
Well, you know, it makes me think of because I'm I'm in the middle of getting ready for uh, my big uh, my great big Christmas lesson this Sunday. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about – I know you do, my friend, but the people listening, uh, Water and Stone Church uh, is, a, is a pretty small church. We're only a couple years old, and so we're just getting started, and we have an a intimate crowd and a small space, and we just love that, that kind of overlap. But it's nice every once in a while to go see what, uh, what's going on in a big church somewhere else. And so thinking about the, uh, the Christmas lesson, it makes me think of a few years ago, I went to – uh, what we would call a mega church, but it was years before they started using that word. I went to a giant church to go to their Christmas pageant. And, uh-huh. you know, my band at Water and Stone is three people. And this band at the Christmas pageant was, you know, they had an orchestra and they had every kind of instrument you want and guitars and the whole deal, smoke machines and purple lights and the whole thing and a huge chorus and everything. And I loved the show of it. And, you know, the theology was pretty different because this was a very, very mainstream, fire and brimstone-y kind of church. In fact, I always tell a side story. If I, I know because I have – it's in my community, and there are people that used to go to that church. And if you miss a couple of Sundays, you'll get a postcard in the mail that's got a picture of fire on it. And it says, have you forgotten us? So that's the wow. level of theology. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's deep. So anyway, wow. there's this incredible, you know, they've got the manger and they've got the shepherds and the star and the whole thing, and it's beautiful. I love the whole Christmas message. But if you're really watching, apart from the songs and the celebration and the manger and all that, the whole point of the presentation was, and now here's this cross. And get ready because you love that little baby. Get ready because in a couple of months we're going to crucify him. Mm-hmm. And you should feel really bad about it. That really was the theme, and the pastor of the church got up and said a few words, and that was basically what he was going to say. It was, it was almost like, hey, listen, I know you're happy now, and everybody's thinking about Santa Claus, the Christmas present, but remember, we're going to crucify this guy in a minute, and I want you to get your guilt lined up. As yeah. though the whole Christian experience is this engine for creating crucifixion. Yeah, and yeah. I looked around at my friends and family, and we were coming. We were really trying to be positive about it, and we, like I said, we enjoyed the spectacle and all of that. But all of us were looking around like, oh, we are definitely not in our right place right now. You know, you have those moments. You walk into the wrong nightclub. You know, you're out with the wrong person. You walk in the wrong movie, that kind of thing, where this is not my people. This, I'm not supposed to be here. And uh, you get that moment because there was a lot of people that were just in complete agreement that, yes, we should feel bad, and the point of Christmas – Never mind the point of Easter. The point of Christmas is crucifixion. And it's just it, – I, I think of it every time I get ready for the Christmas lesson because talk about missing what I feel like the point is. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's an amazing thing. And so I'm so grateful for this opportunity to dig into it a little bit with you. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, first question, Reverend Dieter, is how do you define – the kingdom of God, literally and metaphysically. Okay. How do I define the kingdom? Well, I mean, if you just look in a regular old dictionary, a kingdom is a place where a sovereign reigns, king, queen, emperor, or whatever. It, it, the kingdom is the place where they have power, right? And so the kingdom of God is this place, literally, spiritually, allegorically, metaphysically, any old way, is the place where God is in charge. Now, Jesus was very careful to say things like 
the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. He said, you know, people will be looking around for it, saying, where is it? Here it is. There it is, that kind of thing. But you can't do that because it's already here. And so it's like dying of thirst in the middle of a swimming pool. You know, it, it, you have the power to not see it because God made you free. But that whole thy kingdom come moment in the Lord's prayer is about saying, you know what? I get that it's here. I agree with it. And, and the, the deeper question, I think, is people go, okay, if God is everywhere, how come my life doesn't work? If God is everywhere, how come I can't fall in love or I can't pay the bills or I've got this uh, physical ailment or whatever? And it's a fair question, but in the same way that, let's say, gravity exists, you can behave like there's no gravity. You can take a leap off your roof. Don't try this at home. You can, you can do all kinds of things in ignorance of how gravity works or to use a more concrete example of how math works, let's say. You, but your checkbook won't balance and collection agents are going to be on the phone. That kind of stuff, and you can live in ignorance with it. And you and I know and everybody listening knows there's lots of people that have reached an incredible level of comfort with a misuse of math or the laws of gravity or let's say the laws of love and how to interact with other people. Well, the kingdom of God is just like that. It is an absolute in the same way that gravity is happening. It's a property of mass. It's an absolute in the same way that one plus one equals two. It's an absolute in the same way that love always wins. However, you can live in ignorance of that absolute. You can try to let your ego rule, let your head rule instead of your heart, for example. And unfortunately, you and I and everybody else knows what, it, what it's like to let your ego lead the way, to live in ignorance. And that's what's going on. The kingdom of God is here because God is in charge. But you have a choice as to whether or not you want to be a loyal subject, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. You know, there are some fundamentalist churches that focus on the kingdom, but they still uh, hold strongly on to the to the hellfire and brimstone theology it's interesting mm -hmm. um like you listen to like oh man this stuff is really great and then they just drop the theological bomb on you like oh yeah and if you don't believe this <laughs> this is where you go like oh man come on dude you know but anyway you know we'll have to have that offline because i don't want to name drop anybody but somebody just popped up in my mind literally and i was like yeah this guy's stuff is beautiful until he goes other places. So, um, how do you define the cross literally and metaphysically? Well, literally, the cross is that, you know, that structure made out of wood that they crucified Jesus and crucified a whole lot of other people on. Literally, it's that thing that happened on uh, on Good Friday. That basic idea literally it's the it's the instrument of torture and execution and all that terrible stuff. But I don't really want to dwell on that. I'm not ignoring it. It happened. But it's such a small part of the story. I always say that fixating on, uh, on Good Friday is a little bit like walking out halfway through a movie. You know, it, Jesus' ministry over and over again has to do with the idea that healing is possible. You, you, you know, hungry people get fed. 
things get fixed in life over and over again. This is a theology of victory and triumph. Every single thing he said, I came that you might have joy and have it more abundantly. Over and over again, the, the prevailing message is, guys, not only is it going to be okay, but it's okay the moment you know who you are. That's all you have to do. The universe is really good at taking care of its own. Nobody's got to suffer. And in fact, he didn't even hang out with the people who, by outer uh, judgment, their lives were working. He hung out with people who were in, in acknowledgement that, you know what, this is messed up, this thing about my life. And they got yeah. better. And they got fixed. And what he said went, and love wins, right? The whole thing. And so to take that theology and to then fixate on the instrument of torture is so I, I don't know if there's a better word. I think it's perverse. I don't get it. And it, it is as, as inappropriate. I'm about to say something a little bit inappropriate. It's like saying I'm a fan of John F. Kennedy. Therefore, I really like rifles. What yeah. an odd and inappropriate and rude thing to say. It's terrible. And so well, in, in, in a not different way, fixating on the, the literal thing seems crazy. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Years ago, uh, it, uh, the rapper KRS-One, when he was uh, started quite the stir, I remember um, going over my uh, one of my friend's house houses. Uh, the guy used to cut our hair. You know, when you're growing up, there's a neighborhood guy that cuts, cuts your hair before you just transition right. to the barbershop full time. And uh, he asked me, he's like, have you heard this new song? I was like, and he, so he put it on. And the, I can't remember the name of the song, but in the gist, the gist of it was, Karis once said, if uh, if if Jesus was killed in an electric chair, would you be walking around with an electric chair around your neck? And it was like, exactly. he got a lot of heat for that verse. But what he was trying to get people to think about was how uh, you know, yeah, like, are you following the man or the method to which it happened? Now, I have some opinions about that, but I have some questions I want to get to it. So I'm gonna double back to that to that same point, but I want to give you an opportunity because I have some real strong opinions about some of this stuff and how it got there. But I just want to see okay. from your perspective as my guest today. Uh, I want people to have the opportunity to get your wisdom on the subject. And I just want to jump in here and there uh, because I think that we have a great opportunity to just get an alternative message out there. And yeah, absolutely. The, and this message is not just out of, from new thought people. If you read people like Marcus Borg or John Shelby Spong or, you know, or uh, John Dominique Crossan or, you know, the people that were a part of the Jesus seminar or the, you know, one of the great, great documentaries that PBS did. Uh, what was the name of that thing? It, it was what they did on the historical Jesus. I can't, can't remember the name of it now. But anyway, he uh, this material is out there. It's being taught in seminaries, but it's not making it to the pulpit. Uh, it's, it was called from G, from uh, from Jesus to the Christ, the first Christians. Have you ever seen that before? Okay. I haven't, but now I'm going to. Yeah, uh, you know, it was uh, it was done by PBS. Uh, years ago, and I taped it on VHS. That lets you know how long ago I I put my wow, when right. it came on. I recorded it on my VCR, <laughs> and 
<laughs> it's called From <laughs> Jesus to Christ. And okay. if you go to pbs.org or whatever, it was done by Frontline, you know, when they do Frontline stuff. And Frontline built a, they built a whole website uh, around this one documentary. So you can not only watch the documentary online, but then it'll it'll give you all of the up-to-date scholarship with highlighted words so you can read it. And when you want more detail, you just click on it. So I would strongly recommend to the reader, I mean, listeners, not readers, listeners, that you go to just Google From Jesus to Christ PBS, and it'll pop up. And love you'll it. you'll you'll well, walk into a whole new world. And I, I love that. I, I really want uh, us new thought people, us unity people, us progressive Christians, or whatever you want to call yourself, to let's get really good at speaking the language of the Bible. There are so many people. I've had people come to me, and, and I don't know, about once a month or something, I'll get somebody in the church that says, you know, you use the Bible a lot because we really do. We are a Bible-based church. And I've heard people go, well, you know, I don't like the Bible because I used to go to this place where they, the Bible told me that I was no good or that I was supposed to suffer. And, and so I don't do that. And I think that is such a baby in bathwater situation because if you really read the thing, you realize that you don't have to be uh, you know, good at new thought allegory. Just read the basic message, and the basic message is one of empowerment, healing, and love. The, the idea of the, the crucifixion thing that people tend to fixate on in, let's say, mainstream churches is, is this idea of what they call vicarious atonement, vicarious atonement. And the idea is – and you know how weird it really sounds if you ever try to explain it, let's say, to a child. Okay, here's the deal. God made everybody really badly, and the kid's going to go, well, you know, if I make something bad in class, then I get a bad grade. So if God made people bad, doesn't that mean that God's not good at this? Okay, well, let's skip that. He just did. God made everybody bad. And you're basically bad, and the world is so bad that, that he sent his kid down, and he decided to let everybody beat him up and kill him. And because he let everybody kill him, then we're not so bad anymore, and he's going to be nicer to us. And the look on a child's face, if you're going to explain that to them, says the whole thing. Very little of that is logical. None of it matches what you know in your heart about the way it is to treat people. And on a deeper level, it sure doesn't match Jesus' uh, teaching about parenthood. Over and over again, Jesus says, you know, you know enough to not give your kids something harmful when the kid wants something nourishing. Don't you think God is a better parent? Over and over again, Jesus says, God's good at this, right? So there's that basic concept. It's not even a theological concept. It's just, it's just a literal one. But deeper than that, the overall message, once again, is victory and love and potential. He can't say you're the light of the world and also say you guys are terrible and I got to die so you can better in some kind of weird hostage crisis uh, exchange thing, which, which doesn't, once again, it just doesn't hold up. Um, that said, the, the idea of vicarious uh, atonement doesn't match the teachings or the logic or what's in your heart, but the cross itself is something that I believe is necessary. And I say that on a couple of levels. First of all, remember Jesus says over and over again, 
everything can be overcome. Everything bad, every sickness, every lack, every frustration, every sadness, every hunger can be fed, you know? And so part of the Good Friday moment is Jesus saying, even this can be overcome. Even death, no matter what you're going through, it ain't Good Friday bad. And so if he can do this, remember he said the works I do, you shall do also, which, by the way, is another knock against the vicarious atonement thing. The works I do, you shall do also. Not, hey, have a seat, I got this. Right. But the right. fact that, that he's saying no matter what you have going on, this can be overcome. Guys, it's okay right now. <laughs> not going to be okay. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Yeah. But, but you get the idea. But so not only is the cross important for the sake of demonstration and education, but on a, on a metaphysical level, on an allegorical level, it's also important in another way because it symbolizes the crossing out of the ego, the crossing out of old limiting ideas, the crossing out of acting less than the light of the world. And I really think that that's important because so often the, the new thought theology, people do a, a, a cheap shot at us and say that we are a theology of validation, where you get to come into our churches and our centers and our campuses, whatever they want to call them. You get to come in and we tell you that, you know what, you don't have to change and you're good just like you are and you get to continue being the way you are and you don't have to grow and nothing uncomfortable and nothing bad and, and none of that. And that is not true. Yes. You are the light of the world. Yes, you are a child of God. And yes, you are beautiful and powerful and loved and loving and all of those good things. But if you really are that, it means you've got to take out the trash. You don't get to continue being mean or dysfunctional to other people or to yourself. If you want to live like this, then you've got to get rid of some stuff. You don't get to go, well, you know, I, I give to my church and I pray and, and I say my affirmations. Therefore, I can cut people off in traffic and, and skim off the top at my job and all these terrible things. You don't get to have it both ways. And I think that it is a real misunderstanding and misuse of new thought if people see it as us just telling people that no matter what, it's okay. You get to do whatever you want because that's not what it is. Here's yeah, well, I, a long I'm way to go ahead. If you, I apologize. If you want to get to, you want to get to Easter, something's got to die, and that yeah. means what has to die is your old, old ways of being. That's the deal. Yeah, well, I think you know. Well, one, I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to call in. We only have about five minutes before the break, and we can take calls after the break. If you want to call in, you can call in at eight one six two five one three five 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 eight one six. Two five one three five five five. So uh, we do actually have a caller online. We have Donald. Donald, uh, can you put Donald in, please? How you doing, Reverend McDowell? Hey there. How you doing there, Donald? Good, uh, Reverend Randolph. Uh, thank you for taking my question. And uh, you were mentioning just a few minutes ago about the Bible, studying the Bible. Uh -huh. And I wanted to know, Apostle Paul, the writings contributed to him. Uh, did that have any um, inspiration in maybe your thoughts between the kingdom versus the cross or the kingdom of the cross? Or maybe what's your thought on Apostle Paul's writings? Well, I, I think that Paul is an important part of all of this. He really is, and for a lot of reasons. I think that, that there are things that he does theologically that are really important. I think that there are things that he does organizationally. I think you could argue that there wouldn't be a Christian church. We would have just been this, this little sect that, 
maybe just kind of dried up and blew away if it weren't for the evangelizing that Paul did, for example, organizationally, theologically, in all kinds of ways. But I think it's also really important to remember that when you read Paul's letters, you are quite literally reading somebody else's mail. You know what I mean? This is not a, a letter to everybody literally. He's writing to a very specific audience, a church that's going through a very specific situation. And so it's a very different thing. Now let's say, let me think of an example. Uh, let's say you got a neighbor who leaves her door open and there's, uh, there's dogs all over the house. There's wild animals have come in. They're eating the garbage. And Paul comes in and says, you got to get dogs out of this house. He's not saying that no one should ever have dogs. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's a weird example just right off the top of my head. And maybe I was thinking about my dog. But the point <laughs> is you can't, you can't do that. Now, somebody might say, well, does that mean that, that we shouldn't even read those letters? Does that mean that it, it, they're not important? No, I'm not saying that because here's how this works. You can interpret the Bible literally and miss a whole lot. Or you can go, there's a deeper message here. There is a, an allegorical or a metaphysical, a spiritual dimension to that. These events and characters and situations that we read about in the Bible are symbolic of something that's going on in you and me. So, for example, the trick is to go, okay, well, how do I read that? And there's lots of books. You can read the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary or some of the things that Charles Fillmore wrote. These kinds of things are really, really helpful, but at the end of the day, what you can do to start is go, maybe I don't know what it's like to be a shepherd, let's say. Maybe I don't know what it's like to be Noah. Actually, I was talking about this last Sunday. You don't know what it's like to be Noah, but you do know what it's like when God comes to you and says, we have to clean this up. And that can look positive or negative. It can look like that moment where you feel so good that you've got to make changes in your life or where you feel so bad that something's got to give. You know what Noah felt like even though you don't know what it's like to live in that place and to have all the animals in a boat and all that kind of stuff. So start with, okay, here's how it feels and what do I do about it? So taking that and applying it to Paul, uh, the letters to the Corinthians, for example, are about a very specific audience where the Corinthian people were doing some weird stuff in the name of love. Now, you know what it's like when love doesn't work right in your life. You know what it's like when you love the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, when ego and personality and control are all wrapped up in that. And if you can approach it from that level, all of a sudden the things that Paul is saying aren't about what other people are doing. It's about what's going on in your own heart, what's going on between you and God. And there's something beautiful that you can get from that. But I think that Paul takes a little bit more work because, for one thing, I'm not sure Paul was a real nice guy. <laughs> you know – you know what I mean? Jesus is easy to deal with. But Paul is a little bit more abrupt in the same way if you go back and you look at what Elijah was up to. This is a rough character who had a good point. Right. And so I think that there's so much powerful stuff in Paul that it is absolutely not the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> absolutely. We, we, we're going to have to come up to our break, uh, Reverend Dieter. Uh, absolutely. So, so um, I... I I thank you, Donald, for the question, and uh, I think we got some really good insight from that question. So thank you. Uh, listeners, we'll be right back with True Transforms.
I'm Diane Ray, Program Director for Unity Online Radio. And from all of us at unityonlineradio.org, thanks for your support and for helping us grow this year. We wish you a joyous holiday season. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. All right, welcome back to Truth Transforms. My guest is the Reverend Dita Randolph, and we're talking about the kingdom or the cross. So, Reverend Dieter, uh, from your perspective, what did Jesus teach the kingdom or the cross? Well, I, I think that it's it's really safe to say that he taught both, but not in the way that I think people are expecting. Obviously, he taught the kingdom. He talked about it all the time, like I said before. He talked about it as something that's in your midst, as something that is reflected not just in uh, something like pure potentiality or something like that, but an actual presence right now, right here. God's here, and you can't be anywhere that is not in the kingdom, in the presence of God. And the trick is to know it and to choose to do something about it. Over and over again, that seems to be at the core of this. Over and over again, Jesus said things to the effect of, look, the only thing different about you and me is that I know who I am. And the moment you do, things can start to change for you too. So that's a kingdom message. That's an empowerment message. But I think that as I was starting to say before, he also taught the crossing out of, let's say, dysfunctional behavior, you know, uh, negative stuff, dumb ideas, selfishness, ego. He never said, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Uh-huh. And I think that it's very, very important to, to make sure that we have both sides of this. Jesus taught both because you have to have both. You can't have a message that is only denial, only the cross, only sacrifice. And you also can't have a message that's only affirmation. Because as Charles Fillmore said, if you can't let go of your goats, you're going to have to make do with fewer sheep. In other words, yeah, God is infinite, but you've only got so much space in your heart and only so much space between your ears. And what you let in there determines the kind of world that we make together and determines the kind of life that you have as an individual. So you've got to decide what you allow in. And I think that's one of the reasons why shepherds are an important character so often in Scripture, because that's literally their job is filtering out and protecting acting in care. It's the shepherds who, who see the angel as we get to the beginning of the nativity story because they're set up to be receptive to it. Yeah. Yeah. So when, you know, in, in that context, which I think is a great way of teaching it, it, it's not either or, but, mm-hmm. but, and, because I think we're so used to dealing with polarity that it has to be one thing yeah. or another that we don't deal with the complexity of life, which is, both messages can be valid. It depends on how you look at the kingdom or and how you look at the cross, because some people, they think the kingdom means the church takes over the world. And that's not what it means. Mm-hmm. You know, no different than the cross being interpreted in one way. So from yeah. your perspective, uh, let me give the number out again for people who want to call in at 816-251-3555, 816 251 You want to call in and ask Reverend Dita Randolph a question. So uh, my question is, how did the kingdom message transition to the cross message? I think that it is, it's a, such a funny thing to say, but I think in a way it's almost a marketing decision. It's, it's one of those things where over time, you know, you're dealing with 
Christianity without Jesus being there. And so I don't want to make it sound like I'm belittling this, but if you've got a product to sell, how do you do it? Jesus has now left. You know, he comes back after Easter and he says, okay, guys, I've got to go again because if I stay around, you're never going to get to the level where you're actually handling this stuff. Because why would you? You're here. You know, um, it's one of those things. My, my wife is an incredible cook. And uh, my daughter, before she moved out, uh, I heard her say a couple times, why should I bother learning how to cook? You're here and you're amazing. And, you know, there are reasons, but she wasn't interested in those reasons in that moment. Now she's an amazing cook as well because she left and she had to cook for herself. And there's something amazing about that moment. So anyway, Jesus says, I've got to go because you've got to do this. So now Jesus is gone. And we as Christians have got to take up the mantle. We've got to do this. But that's hard. If the central message of Christianity is the works I do, you shall do also. If the central message is you've got to clean up your act and go be a force for good in the world, and that means speaking truth to power, and that means not putting up with less than love, and that means standing up for healing and all of that in an environment where it's hard to do that because they're oppressed, because life isn't very easy. They haven't even invented plumbing yet. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff going on. It's not yeah. a different problem than the one we have today. If I tell you, you know, your life can be really good, and you say, yeah, but my life isn't really good. I can either say, okay, because there's a lot of work to do, or I can take the easy way out and say, yeah, you know what? Life is supposed to be bad, but if you suffer long enough, it'll be okay. And I can keep you in a place of need. It's an easier thing for me to sell. And the side benefit is if I keep you in a place of need, what you need is me. And so you can keep coming back to my church and putting money in the plate, and my organization grows because it's based on need rather than empowerment. I don't think that everybody who's doing religion or everybody who's doing Christianity back then or now, I don't think that there's some master evil plan. I don't think it worked that way. I think it was a gradual uh, changing of the message because it was easier and easier to say the easy thing. Uh, you know what? Everybody's kind of messed up. And we're all working on stuff, which is true. We are all working on stuff, but it doesn't mean that we're inherently flawed. But as yeah. you play that game of telephone over the centuries, things start to change and things start to get watered down and it becomes easier and easier to say one thing instead of the other. I don't think it was a one moment thing where there was a secret meeting where they said, okay, guys, we're going to start telling people that they have to, they have to just keep coming to church. Yeah. But I think in yeah. fact, that's what happens over time. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, I actually covered this subject uh, pretty decently, uh, several years ago when I was doing the Discover the Power Within You series, I was teaching Eric Butterworth's book chapter by chapter. And okay. uh, when I got to this part of the book, when he starts dealing with, you know, atonement theology and resurrection and the cross and all of that, you know, I posed a few questions. One of which was, is there a difference between resuscitation and resurrection, which might be a, a, a show for another day? Uh, <laughs> because I think that that's a legitimate question. Um, and what I was trying to get across was to get people to think. But the other thing that I talked about was 
the kingdom or the cross from the standpoint of the context in which I got it. So, you know, you might not be aware of it, but I got this context and I started having this question years ago in the 90s. So I Mm -hmm. actually ordered a a series of tapes. It might have been like four to six tapes uh, uh, by Rocco Errico. Now, let me just he came to Christ Universal Temple and taught it. A, uh, he did a seminar only for ministers and teachers called the kingdom of the cross. And okay. because of my relationships, I was able to get a copy. Uh, it wasn't available. It wasn't supposed to be available to me and no other way for me to say it. And okay. then when I found out he did a larger expanded version of it, I ordered it from him. And, and then he had some other stuff on resurrection. And I think from his perspective, which I thought was very unique and that's why I just want to share it just for the listeners as well. But obviously, it's something, a resource you can look up as well. Was He had a tape called The Mystery of the Resurrection, where he goes through the process. And then uh, The Kingdom of the Cross, there's a series of tapes, where he talks about how the reality of the, the, reality of the kingdom was Jesus' realization. The reality of the kingdom for the disciples was through their cross experience. So it was it was through Jesus's cross experience that forced them to reevaluate what Jesus was teaching, because even though they had this great teacher, you know, they're thinking they're about to be the new in thing. And yeah. now the teacher's gone. Now the leader is gone. Now, you know, our, our hope in this individual and then they scattered. And then the revelations start to come back. I think this is why. The Apostle Paul, who's the first witness of the resurrection, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus first appeared to Peter. No gospel says that. And but but by all accounts, Peter was his right hand man. Mm-hmm. And they started to have these revelations and it was through the cross experience and now them going into their Jewish context. They put Jesus's kingdom message through the cross, but then they wrapped it in a context of their Jewish background. So the Jewish background of that day and that era was sacrifice and, you know, you know, take, taking the lambs and taking the pigeons and all that and the scapegoat and all of that. And they started to reinterpret their own scriptures through the experience that they had through the cross experience. So they started having, according to Rocco, these appearances of Jesus was just that he started not only was they were they seeing him but they were understanding now what he taught but they were reinterpreting it through the context like we all do that we already have and mm-hmm. in that, so, sure. so the kingdom message got transitioned into the cross message because literally that was the way they understood the kingdom it wasn't it wasn't real for them until they got to the place to where they had to go that deeply within. Now, Charles Fillmore talks about in the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary how the appearances of Jesus was Jesus impressing upon the soul of the individuals so they would see him. I don't know if you're familiar with that part in the Metaphysical sure. Bible Dictionary. It's in there. And I think that what Rocco, and I'm giving a very, because I wasn't prepared to say this, a very abridged version of this argument was when we understand the Semitic background, 
then we get what people like Paul and the early disciples were doing and how they started to reinterpret Jesus in that light. We call it prophecy now. It's not prophecy. It's looking back. We believe that the prophets were predicting Jesus. That's not what happened. Actually, what actually happened is they went back in and reinterpreted Scripture to make it fit their new understanding. Well, if a man is, for instance, is hung from a tree, that's an abomination. They turned an abomination into transformation. Mm. That would be an example. You know, yeah, well, and I think know, that there's something – this, this is the deal. People tend to – you and me and everybody else – people tend to go back to what they're used to. You know, it's just one of those things. You go to what you've sort of been trained for by your upbringing and by your set of sensibilities, your comfort zone and all that. And you can see that even in the story, whether or not um, it's a specifically Jewish thing. One of the things you can see even on a, on a deeper or a more fundamental level is – after Jesus is, you know, after the crucifixion, after the reappearance and all that, the disciples go back to fishing. And I, I love that moment, and it's almost comedic. It's almost a funny moment because remember, this is how Jesus met these guys at the beginning. The, the miracle of cast your nets yeah. on the other side and all that. And they go right back to where they were before. After all, can you imagine – and I think that's an amazing thing because so many of us go, you know, if I was around Jesus, I would have enough information to where I wouldn't have such a terrible love life or a terrible relationship with my physical body or a terrible this and that and the other. If I could just be in the room with Jesus, I know I would get it. And here's these disciples who spent all this time with him and went through all the things that they went through with him. And the moment he's gone, they go right back to fishing. It's crazy and kind of funny. But Jesus was very careful to say, what I need you to do is take what you know how to do and uplift it. You know, he said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of people. In other words, these skills that you have and the places that you are, you just got to go a little bit outside your comfort zone. But you have what it takes because of where you've been to take this to a new level. And I think it's so tempting for people to go, oh, well, I'm just going to go right back to the way I was. And so if I've got sacrifice on my mind because of my theology, I'm going to interpret this Jesus moment as a moment of sacrifice being the most important thing. And the fishers of men teaching applies to this by saying, yes, sacrifice is important, but not for the reasons you used to think. It's not that you're going to get right by God if you can sacrifice Jesus. He never said that. Instead, it's you're going to get right with the, the Christ in you by getting rid of, by sacrificing the parts of you that don't match up with what you know to be true. Like I always say, Jesus said, they who have seen me have seen the Father. And the reason for that is that he lived so purely and beautifully and lovingly and honestly that the family resemblance got to shine through. And what he asks of us is the same thing. Get to the place where your thought and your feeling, your behavior is the thinking and feeling and behavior of a child of God instead of somebody who's scared all the time. Yeah, so people can say, you look just like your mama, or you look just <laughs> like your daddy. That's a reference uh -huh. to when you see me, you see the attributes of good expressed, love, and wisdom, yeah. and power, mm -hmm. etc. Yeah. You know, when you see me, you see the father. The father is not some 
you know, uh, you know, supernatural super daddy in the sky <laughs> with these attributes of good that expresses through. One other quick thing before I ask uh, my next question that I think that needs to be pointed out is with the cross. The early Christians also used a device of torture for disobedient slaves and terrorists to the Roman government as a means of transformation. So the vehicle that the Roman Empire used to terrorize people, Christians used to give hope to people. And sometimes that's not talked about. But, right. you know, you know right. there were... There, there might have been hundreds of thousands of people that were, and possibly millions, but just in Jesus' era alone, hundreds of thousands of people who were disobedient slaves and terrorists to the state. And they would leave these people in their bodies up for days just hanging. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was, you know, a horrible way of dying. You know, it, you didn't bleed out. You suffocated slowly till you died. And, you know, and birds and, and other stuff land. I mean, it was just horrible. And they used the worst method that the Roman Empire could come up to stop disobedience of an underclass and use that same method and imagery to say God's salvation can be connected to it. Not salvation from the standpoint of your soul is in jeopardy. But salvation from the standpoint of your life doesn't have to be this way. And even if the outer circumstances haven't changed yet, your inner circumstances have changed. And now you're a new being. So now this doesn't have power over you anymore because That's it didn't right. have power over Jesus. So instead, of, so and, the thing that he used to terrify people, to keep people in fear, is now being used as a symbol of hope. It was a masterful bait and switch, from my opinion. Just want to share that really fast. <laughs> well, I love that. You know, it makes me think, you know, the post-Easter Jesus yeah. uses the cross as a symbol of victory. The, the, the disciples, once they realized that he came back, used the cross as a symbol of victory. When they saw the cross, they saw resurrection and healing and life and the culmination of these teachings. For them, the cross is a symbol of victory. For the Romans, for the bad guys in the story, the cross is a symbol of suffering and sacrifice and punishment. As a modern Christian, do you want to see the cross like the Romans or like Jesus? That's your choice. Yeah, it, it gives you an opportunity to look at things differently. And, you know, you know, this is one of the things I, I will say about the Apostle Paul that I think that, you know, you read the modern scholarship, most of the stuff that's considered conservative Paul, most Bible scholars don't believe he wrote. The first and second Timothy, the Titus, the you know, some of that stuff. Um, but nobody talks about the Paul that was exceptionally progressive and liberal, who would say, mm-hmm. in Christ, meaning in this community, because people think you know, it means in Jesus, but in that context it means in this community, there is no uh, free or slave. There's no male or female. There's no Jew or Greek. He was saying, right. you know, that that in a community that had its own caste system, when you step into this community, it's over. Everybody's viewed the same. That's right. And that People, that that quote is very important to me. And I wish I had thought to bring it up 
when uh, when our caller was asking about Paul, because one of the things I'm very, very proud about, uh, one of the many things I'm proud about, about our church, Water and Stone Church, is that we have an inclusivity statement. And uh, basically, you can go to our website, and on the on the navigation, there's a link that says inclusivity, and you can read it. And I wrote a bunch of stuff about how everybody's welcome, and there's no judgment, and there's no barriers, and there's no discrimination. Everybody gets to partici- participate fully in the life of the church. But the key to that is that quote from Paul, who gets a reputation as being the, being kind of a, a conservative bad guy. But the idea that everybody, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're up to, everybody is one in Christ. And no exceptions, no boundaries. That's a pretty broad, amazing, welcoming statement, and we are proud to uphold that. And I think that there are people who wouldn't believe that Paul said it, but he did. And just as you say, we are one not because of our physicality. We are one not because of our economics and not because of where we've been. We are one because of our standing in Christ. And just as you said, that's not Jesus. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. I always say it's not like he had a cousin named Billy Christ. It, It doesn't work that way. Christ is a quality. Even Paul said, Christ in you, your hope of glory. The word means the anointed one, the blessed one, the divine spark. It's something that we all share when you know who you are. That is the basis of our oneness. And the point of the cross is getting rid of everything that doesn't match that true nature. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, I think, yeah. So, Donald, that that answer was for you. Now you, you have something else to work with totally because once we get and we and we do the benefit of putting Paul back in it, into his context, which I think okay. is not done. I think the the best work I've seen on putting Paul back into his context. Have you ever read the book by Marcus Borg and John Dominique Crossan? I think it was called The Third Paul or The Fourth Paul, something like that. I can't remember if it's the third or the fourth Paul, but basically what they basically say is when you when you're reading um um when you're reading the the new testament you bump across different pauls and what what that means is when we are reading for instance the book of acts paul that's an interpretation of an author that's not paul that's somebody interpreting paul telling a story about paul like writing a biography where you got some stuff right, you might not have some things right. Uh, and what ends up happening is a lot of how we interpret Paul is based upon that type, excuse me, it's called, the book is called The First Paul. First so Paul. what they, so The First Paul. So what they do is they they say, okay, The First Paul is the Paul that speaks in first person, Romans, First uh, and Second Corinthians, First and Second, th- you know, Thessalonians, the the universal seven letters that everybody talks about. Uh, then there's the letters they're not so sure about. We think it's Paul, but we're not so sure. And then there's the letters we don't know about. So those are three Pauls right there. And then there's mm-hmm. the book of Acts Paul. The challenge is the Paul that everybody can agree with is Paul, first person writings, is not necessarily agreeing with some of the other Pauls. It's a brilliant book. Mm. Brilliant book. And I think it's necessary 
from the standpoint of studying. And, you know, I remember reading that book and not being able to put it down. I was just sitting like with my garage open with a chair and it was like enjoying a sunny summer day on like a Saturday. And I just read the whole book in one day, <laughs> you know, but Love I'll it. do stuff like that. Um, Love it. <laughs> so, you know, so so I want to make sure that the callers have resources as well, because it gives you an opportunity mm. to take a look and uh, at Paul and what he was and what he taught and et cetera. And there's some other resources that I've already given you, like Kingdom of the Cross and stuff like nature. Rocco Erico has some excellent stuff. But this book, The First Paul, I think anybody that that considers themselves uh, uh, a person who studies Pauline theology should read it. Because the title is The First Paul, Reclaiming the Radical Visionary Behind the Church's Conservative Icon. So Paul is presented as a conservative icon, but he's actually a radical progressive. In his era, you you got to put it back in his era, not according That's to twenty first right. century standards, according to first century standards. Um, uh, Reverend Dieter, I want to make sure that people know how to get in contact with you because we're running out of time. We only got about a minute left. Could you give people websites or, and Facebook Absolutely. and whatever uh, you, we need to get? Yeah, everybody, uh, please come and find me at waterandstonechurch.com. And uh, we've got a lot of great stuff going on. Livestream.waterandstonechurch.com is our uh, Sunday lesson, 11 a.m. Eastern time every Sunday. And you can hit that same link, livestream.waterandstonechurch.com, and watch uh, older services as well. I'd love for you to be there. And if you can't be there in person here in St. Petersburg, Florida at 11 a.m. on uh, this Sunday morning, you're going to want to watch the the live stream of our Christmas service. It's going to be absolutely great. Beautiful, beautiful. So I just want to make sure that everybody has what they need. I want to thank you for coming on the show. We got about 30 seconds to go. You know, enjoy your Christmas time. And for those who have been listening, listen to the show over again, because some things have been said that you might want to write down and take a look for yourself and say, okay, what do I think about it? Because as Reverend Dr. Mary Tumpkin used to say to me all the time when I would bring to her scholarship questions. She would say, okay, Galen, you studied this, you studied that, yeah. What else have you studied? And I would tell her, and she would say, now what do you think? So that's <laughs> what I'm going to leave the audience with today. As we take our Love Christmas it. break, what do you think? God bless you. Love it. And enjoy your day. God, take care. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.